In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue tonight our Bible study from Psalm 119. This psalm is the longest psalm, and we prayed in the first watch of the midnight hour. This psalm is composed from 22 sections, and these 22 sections are composed on the Hebrew alphabet. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. I don't know the Hebrew alphabet, but let me assume that the first letter is A, second letter is B, third letter is C. Of course, that's English, not Hebrew. Each part of the 22 are composed of eight verses. And each verse start with the same letter in the same section. For example, section 1 starts with letter A. So the eight verses, each one starts with letter A. Then section 2 starts with letter B. Then each verse starts with letter B. And, and so on. Do you follow me? Then actually, in every single verse, almost every single verse, there is reference to the word of God. For example, verse 33, statutes. Verse 34, your law. 35, your commandments. Verse 36, testimony. 37, revive me in your way. 38, your word. And so on. Every single verse has a reference to the word of God. And every section has a theme. Tonight we'll start, hopefully we can finish section 5 and section 6. So tonight we'll study section 5 and section 6. He is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The fifth Hebrew letter is called He. And it is used at the beginning of verbs in verses 33 to 40. So each verse in section 5 starts with this letter, He. So the first word in each verse in section 5 begins with the letter He. This section, as I told you, every section has a theme. So this section, section 5, is a series of prayers for instruction and guidance and strength. Instruction, guidance, and strength. For example, teach me, O Lord, the way of your status. Give me understanding, I shall keep your law. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and so on. The theme is a series of prayer asking God for instruction, guidance, and strength. The prayers in this section have the meaning Cause me to learn, cause me to understand, cause me to walk in your way, and so forth. He's asking God to teach him the law of God, to understand, to walk in the law of God. To desire God and God's way and God's words according to the Son include positive and negative longing. What do I mean positive and negative desires or longing. Positively, 
The life of faith means to learn to desire to seek God and God's way through the word of God. As he said, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. So there is longing here to learn the status of the Lord. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. That's positive longing. It means to delight in studying the word of God and to seek understanding and knowledge there. But what about negative longing? The life of faith means also longing to turn away from other desires, like desires of selfish gain, desire of vain pursuits from those things which only bring disgrace. Like here he said, incline my heart to testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Turn away my reproach, reproach of uh, sin. Section 5, the, the theme of it starts with the letter He, prayer for God's word. So let's start with verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. So the psalmist here stresses his great desire to keep the way and the word of God. Teach me your status so I will keep it to the end. If God teach him his word, he would preserve and keep the way of God to the end. This is the main prayer of the psalm. He is asking for a spiritual enlightenment. Teach me to understand. By the way, this teach me is repeated eight times. Verse 12, 26, 33, 64, 68, 108, 124, 135. But why does the psalmist seek from the Lord to teach him the way of his statutes? Sometimes we want to learn so, for example, I can give a sermon and I impress the listeners when I give them new idea from the scripture that they never heard about it. But this was not the goal of the psalmist. Also, he knew the law of God. He knew the law of Moses. And he said, I hid your word in my heart. So what he is asking when he said, teach me, O Lord, is not the law that was given by God to Moses enough for him? Actually, he is praying for personal leadership by God. For example, you studied medicine, you studied law, but you need a mentor to take you step by step. So, he studied the word of God, but he needs God to be like his mentor, a leader, to teach him step by step in the word of God. So he is praying for guidance in observing the commandment of God. Also, man is unable by himself to keep the way and the word of God and to keep it to the end. How many times we break the commandment of God every day? So as St. Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, God is the one who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
So David has the will, but now he needs the help of God to do. So he is praying as one who has received the will, and now he wants to do it. And the word teach me means teach me to practice and to apply them in my life. He desires to be taught the way of applying the commandment to himself. I'm sure all of you know the commandment, pray without ceasing, but how you apply it. All of you know the commandments about forgiveness, loving our enemies, endures to the end. But we need to apply it. All of us, we know the command of turning the other cheek, walking the second mind. But we need God to teach us how to apply them. St. Augustine has a beautiful analogy here. He's saying, why does this man, David, still pray for Allah to be laid down for him? As if you are hold a full cup and give it to a thirsty man. So this thirsty man both exhausted by drinking it and prays for it by still longing for it because he's very thirsty. While he is drinking it, while he is absorbing the word of God, he's still longing for more of the word of God. The next point is very important. He is not asking God to personally instruct him in the scripture so that he can find something new and exciting. So he can impress the people. So that he can expand his theological understanding. No. The reason or goal of instruction is that he may obey it to the end. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. The purpose here, the reason here, that he will obey it to the end. He comes to the Bible with a humble attitude. Lord, teach me. I don't understand the Bible. I'm coming to you as ignorant person, asking you to teach me. And also with a submissive goal, I shall keep it to the end. When we read the Bible, we need to approach the Bible with these two attitudes. With humbleness, teach me, O Lord, and willingness to submit that I keep it to the end. Then verse 34. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. After having asked for a desire to learn the way of the law, he also asked for understanding, that he may rightly comprehend it. Why? That he may observe it with his whole heart. So again, he wants to understand the word of God in order to observe it not half-heartedly, but with his whole heart, with sincerity. Without this understanding, the psalmist could not follow the desire of his transformed heart. Again, we need to approach the scripture with the same spirit. I want to understand the scripture so I can apply it with my whole heart. We need understanding to persevere in the faith. And we need understanding to discern between what's right and what's wrong. 
And when he said, with my whole heart, because the heart is the seat of decision, desire, choice, and will. With my whole heart means doing the will of God from the heart. And with a good will, and utterly as to the Lord, not to the men. I'm keeping the commandment of God to glorify God, not to please men. St. Augustine comments on my whole heart and says, For when each man has searched the law and searched its deep things in which its whole meaning does consist, this understanding, he ought indeed to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and his neighbor as himself. So this love will make me understand and the understanding will actually make me love God more and they feed each other. In verse 35 he says, make me walk in the path of your commandment for I delight in it. Do we delight in the word of God or we feel it's heavy? So in verse 35, for the third time, he is asking the grace of God in order to observe the law. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Despite his delight and desire for God's word, the psalmist knows he cannot walk in God's path without God's empowering. In order to walk in your way, I need your power. It is an acknowledgement of his dependence on God. Without you, I cannot keep your law. That he might be able to carry out the good purposes of his soul. According to St. Augustine, his desire is powerless. Many times, I want to forgive. I want to worship God. I want to pray without ceasing. But our desires are powerless. Unless God himself makes one to go where he desires. I need God's grace in order to give power to my desire. So the psalmist proclaimed his true desire for a holy life and his readiness to work. Yet he cannot start the way nor walk in it without the grace of God. This reminds me of what St. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. I need the grace of God to help me to do what I will. And why he used here the word the path, make me walk in the path of your commandments, because the road is narrow, the word path, because the way is narrow which leads to life. The psalmist knows that he has to rely on God. As we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Then he starts to speak about the negative longing. Negative longing, I, I said, means to stay away from the bad desires. So in verse 36, he said, Incline my heart 
to your testimonies, not to covetousness, not to greediness. He wants to serve God with all his heart, with his whole heart. And he rightly understood that greediness, that covetousness, was a threat to walking in God's way. You cannot serve God and money. So the psalmist recognizes that the right inclination of the heart is itself the gift of God. That's why he's asking God to incline his heart to his commandment. A heart inclined toward God's word would help him to be satisfied in what God provides. I will be content. I'll not be greedy. I'm not going to ask for more. I will not covet others. In contrary, if you know the story of Bil'am, Bil'am sold out God's people and his own soul because of covetousness. Covetousness is a sin which stands opposite to all God's testimony. As St. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many souls. St. Augustine says, If therefore our heart be not inclined to covetousness, we fear God only, for God's sake, not for any reason else, so that God is the only reward for our serving him. After he asked God to turn his heart away from covetousness, in 37, he asked for another thing. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things, vanity, and revive me in your way. So the psalmist is praying that God let him not be distracted from his service by vanities of the words. And he called these vanities worthless things, like wealth, honor, power, glory. All these things distract our heart from the love of God. He prayed that God would empower and enable him to turn away his eyes and attention from such things. I cannot do it by myself. You are the only one who can give me the power to turn my eyes away from worthless things. Then revive me in your way. Give me long life, strength, and vitality to walk continually in the way of your commandments. So the psalmist understood that he had a natural tendency toward worthless things, all of us have this natural tendency. So he prayed for that natural tendency not to be, rather to revive him. This is another prayer for revival in this psalm, the second one. This time to be made alive again in the way of God. Make me walk in your way alive with vitality. So the psalmist wanted to walk in God's way and to do it with a revived heart. He prayed for detachment or deadness in one direction toward worthy things. 
put to death my members toward worthless things, but in the same time revive me. So he was praying for life in another direction toward God's way. Then in verse 38, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. What he means by establish your word to your servant. This is not a prayer for God to change his word in some way. Because the word of God, as we read in Isaiah 40 verse 8, the word of God is established forever. So what he means by establish your word for your servant? This is a prayer for a change in his heart and his mind so that the word of God would be established in him. So establish your word for your servant means change my heart and change my mind so your word can be established in my heart and in my mind. Also can be understood that it's a request for God to confirm his promises. You promised me to forgive me, to save me. Establish your promises as true. What God, you, you, you said to your servant, then this promise actually establish it for me. And when the promises are established, this produces healthy and holy fear of God, reverence of God. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you, to walk in your commandment. Why is devoted to fear God? Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Proverb 1.7 And the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God, as we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. So this request is for God to confirm what he has already promised. This is a request for God to act in accordance with God's own word. Those who are truly the servants of God, the children of God, though they have their weakness and difficulties, but they are sincerely devoted to fear God all their life. They are ruled by this fear of God. So if you are a true son and daughter of God, then you should walk in the fear of God all the days of your life. Verse 39, Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. While declaring the goodness of God's judgment, he's speaking about how the judgment of God are good, the psalmist also prayed that his reproach would be turned away by the merciful God. Because justice and mercy have kissed each other. So while he's speaking about the judgment, the justice of God are good, but at the same time, I know your justice, your judgment is full of mercy. That's why I'm asking to turn away my reproach. So there is some reproach that we face as faithful followers of Jesus. People may criticize us and may attack us, reproach us, because we are different than the children of the world. St. Paul suffered these kinds of reproaches. But St. Paul said, I take pleasure in the reproaches 
that the grace of God may come upon me. So we expect as Christian and that we receive reproach as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the psalmist here seeks from God to take away from him the reproach of sin, sin of adultery and sin of murder. Because something that David has some reference to his sins in case of Uriah and Bichabba, listed he should be a continuous reproach on his name and the, his family, which he greatly feared and dreaded. And he told him, I know your judgment are good, so to punish me or to discipline me, that's good, because you are a just God. But at the same time, you are a merciful God, so take you the reproach away from me. Your judgments are good. The word of God is sweeter than honey to my mouth, as he said in the same psalm. God's judgment, decrees, declaration, and decisions are good. God only creates good things. After his creation, he found everything is very good. And he only gave good gifts. That's why the psalmist said, O taste and see that the Lord is good. One can only assume that his decisions, God's decision, would also and only be good. Last verse in section 5. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. So the psalmist prays again for revival in verse 40. After he said, I long for your precepts. The prayers comes from a heart that loves the word of God. I long for your precepts. And asking God to be made alive in the righteousness of God. Revive me in your righteousness. This is a prayer of hope. Hope in God and in the power of his life. His life-changing word. The word of God can change our life. It pierces our heart. It is sharper than two-edged sword. This longing only comes as a result of God's action combined with humble submission. God's grace in my heart while I am humbly submitting to the work of God in my life. He has requested that God instruct. And if, if we review section 5, he asked God to instruct him, to make him understand and to discern, to make him to obey the word of God with his whole heart, while at the same time, with humbleness, he submit to the word of God and endeavoring to obey the word of God. And he has requested that God change his feeling away from sin, like covetousness, worthless things of the world. So he's asking God to change his feeling away from sin and turn them toward God. Then and only he may request God's divine blessing. God will bless him after he may learn, obey to the end with his whole heart, turn away from covetousness, turn away from worthless things. As St. Augustine says, fill me with that love which I have longed for. Aid me that I may do that 
which you charge me. Help me to do your commands. Revive me in your righteousness. For in myself, I had that which would cause my death. In myself, I loved sin. In myself, my natural inclination is towards sin. But give me your righteousness, because I will be made alive in your righteousness. But in myself, I had that which would cause my death. Then, section 6. From verse 41 to 48, that is the sixth part of the psalm, in which each verse begins with the Hebrew letter Vau. That's the sixth Hebrew letter. So the psalmist in these verses, the eight verses of section 6, gives several reasons for why he loved God's word and would cling to it. And this helps us when we know these reasons and we reflect on them, also we will love the word of God. And we cannot let one day go without reading the word of God. God's word brings us his loving kindness, the mercies of God, the salvation of God. And the eight verses, like one continued pleading for the abiding of grace in his soul. So he's asking the grace of God to abide in his soul. So section 6, the theme of it, applying God's word for the glory of God. So verse 41, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So he said, You promised me in your word that you're going to save me. You promised me in your word that your mercies will come to me. Now I am asking that your mercy and your salvation come to me according to your word. From longing of God's step-by-step instruction, as we studied in section 5, and the request for life, revive me in your righteousness comes with this prayer for mercies and salvation of God. Now I'm asking for your mercies and your salvation. He is praying that God's mercies be manifested to him to experience the mercies of God and the favor of God. The psalmist desired mercies and salvation to be remembered, to be manifested, to be communicated, to be applied to him. He needed many mercies, so the request is in the plural. That's why he said, let your mercies come also to me. According to the promises, many promises in the scripture that God will send his mercies to us. So the psalmist was relying on the promises of God. How do we know the promises of God in the scripture? This is not a prayer that's offered in a wishful thinking. It is not a wishful thinking, but there is a promise. And David reminding himself with the promises of God. So the psalmist prays in perfect accordance with what God has already promised. God's word was promised 
that God would grant mercy and salvation to all his faithful servant. For example, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 to 13. Our salvation must be attributed purely to God's mercies, not to any merits of our own. We did not earn our salvation, but our salvation is a gift from God, free gift from God to all of us because of his mercies, because of his loving kindness. We are not only allowed to trust in God's word, but our trusting in it is the condition of our benefit by it. So when we trust God, this is the condition in order to benefit from the word of God. But if we have doubts, then we will not benefit from it. According to the scholar origin, once God covers his people with his mercies, they will enjoy his salvation. Our salvation is the fruit of God's covering us with his mercies. According to St. Augustine, mercy and salvation are referred to our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we can say, when he's praying for the mercies and salvation, he's asking God the Father to send his Son, who because of the abundance of his mercies, he was incarnate in order to give salvation to mankind. Also, personal experiences of God's manifold mercies manifested in his deliverance will enable the psalmist to return to a conclusive answer to those who mock him with uselessness of serving God. Many times people come to us and what did you benefit from serving God? What did you benefit from your fasting? What did you benefit? You are serving God. But when God actually covers us with mercies, then we can answer those who mock us and, and accuse us that there is no use for serving God. That's why in verse 42, after he said, let your mercies come also to me, he said, so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. So I can say, no, I trusted in God's promises, and I prayed for his mercies, and he delivered me from this situation. So when he reproached it, it will be enough to pronounce God's promises. When others reproach us, we say, no, God promised us to deliver us. When the mercies and salvation of God came unto David, a ready answer might be given to those who ask, where is his God in whom he trusted, and where is the promise of salvation on which he depended? As you know, David, all his life was chased by King Saul, his son Absalom. Many people, where is your God? You said God promised you. But when God delivers him, then he can give an answer to those who reproach him. Trust in God's word, provide an answer to those who reproach us. When he said, for I trust in your word, I trust in your word. Verse 42. 
The word is the Logos, so the word is Jesus Christ. Your word means here Christ, the Logos, who is our trust and confidence. Or it may mean I trust your word, the written word, the scripture. St. Augustine says, They to whom Christ crucified is a stumbling block like the, the Jews, or foolishness like the Greek, reproach us with him. He said, the Jews reproach the Christian because they stumble in Jesus. How you worship a crucified person. And the Greek, right now, like the atheist, they reproach us. How to worship, uh, and you believe that God became man and died on the cross. Ignorant that the word was made flesh and dwelt in us. They don't know that God became man. Let us not be terrified or confounded by their reproaches. Verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For I have hoped in your ordinances. So the psalmist is praying that God does not take the word of truth entirely or altogether from him. He wants to be able to say the truth in front of others. He's asking God that God does not remove the privilege, the ability to speak the word of truth. In support of this request, he said, for I have hoped in your ordinances. Many times when people speak about evolution versus creation, transgenderism, homosexuality, we are afraid to say the truth. We, we cannot defend the truth or just want to avoid any reproaches from others. That's why David said, no, take not the word of truth from my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. I trust your ordinances. If you say homosexuality is sin, then it is sin. I hope in your ordinances. The psalmist desires that the word of truth might be kept in his mouth. This request is rooted where? In understanding that it is only by the goodness and grace of God that his word does dwell with him. You cannot testify with the word of truth without the grace of God and the goodness of God. Therefore the prayers comes that it may continue so. Verse 44, so shall I keep your law continually, forever and ever. I want to keep your law continually, forever and ever. He is asking to have the wisdom and courage which are necessary to enable him to use his knowledge for the instruction of others by using the word of truth. So he may never be afraid or ashamed of the truth or the ways of God, nor deny him before men. And how much we need this right now. How much we need to be able to say the word of truth without being afraid or ashamed. It's a beautiful prayer if all of us, every day, when we start our day, we pray these two verses, 43 and 44. Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever.
Also, he may mean to ask not to be utterly hopeless. He said, I have hoped in your ordinances. If the word of truth is taken from me, I will be hopeless. Without hope, without some evidence that God's word dwelt in him with sustaining and sanctifying power. Let your word dwell in me to sanctify me, to purify me, so I can feel the power of your word in my life. He might have prayed that when his mind was troubled and in doubt, when it seemed as if all hope and all trust and truth of God would vanish, that's why he said, no, don't take your the word of truth from my mouth. I have hoped in your ordinances. When I, I have doubt in your promises, when everything around me is dark, when I'm in darkness, don't take the word of truth away from me. For I have hoped in your ordinances. His past hope is the ground for the future expectation. I hoped before and you did not turn me down. That's why my expectation, as you delivered me, you will deliver me. He has hoped in the word of God, ordinances in the past, and he has not been disappointed. So the psalmist wanted God's word to remain in his mouth so that he can keep the word of God forever and ever. This was to glorify God through obedience to his word, not for any self-serving purpose. Why want to obey God? To glorify God, not for any self-service purposes. It is a declaration of devotion to obey the law of God forever. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. So the believer who actually hopes in God's word, if you trust the word of God, and you trust in his promises, and you have hope in his word, then you will continually obey them. Then verse 45, And I will walk at liberty. That's the true liberty. When we obey and we submit to the word of God, that's the true freedom. For I seek your precepts. After he spoke about his obedience, because the word of God is inside him, within him, now he testifies that this obedience brings a life of liberty. Many people say, when we disobey God, I am free to do whatever I want to do. But they will be enslaved to sin. But when you obey the word of God, that is the true freedom. Freedom comes through obedience and submission to the word of God. Disobedience or rejection of God's word and reliance upon one's own wisdom leads to bondage and servitude. He would not be restrained by evil passions and corrupt desire. That's the true freedom. The true freedom when we are not restrained by any evil passions or corrupt desires. I will walk at liberty. Even when I am afflicted, as St. Paul said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Verse 46. Now he is giving an example of this liberty. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. 
if they bring me before kings, I will say the truth. I will not be ashamed. Verse 46 is an example of liberty just he mentioned. To have boldness and ability to speak freely of God and his great word before kings show true liberty. We saw how John the Baptist was able to stand before King Herod. St. Paul, when they brought him before magistrates and governor, he was able to say the word of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ, when they brought him before Herod and Pontius Pilate, he said the word of truth. Even in our time, we saw how Pope Shenouda said the word of truth, and he was against many laws that was planned to impose on Christians, and he stood before presidents and, and, and rulers. With freedom comes courage. With freedom comes courage. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Nehemiah, the martyrs, he is ready, if need be, to confess his faith boldly before the highest human authorities. According to the scholar origin, he who does not speak the word of good news with courage would be speaking with shame. Sometimes when we speak about the word of God, about the truth, or we say, you know, يعني, homosexuality, يعني, it can be not right. That's what scholar origin is saying. If you don't have this courage, and you don't speak about the good news with courage, then you are speaking with shame. Verse 47, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. I delight myself in your commandments, which I love. That delighting in God's word is a choice, a matter of the will. I will delight. I choose to delight myself in your commandment, which I love. These two last two verses turn from external manifestation of life that waits for God's judgment to the internal attitude and desires that hope for God's decree. The external manifestation, as he said, I shall keep your law continually, take not your word, uh, the word of truth from my mouth, I will walk at liberty. But the last two verses is internal. Verse 47, I will delight myself in your commandments which I love, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So the psalmist expresses delight in the commands of God before he loves them. The psalmist lists at least three things that come from this life of obedience when we obey the word of God. Number one, confidence comes with liberty. Courage comes with liberty. Number two, he will not be ashamed. And number three, delight. So when we obey the word of God, we will not be ashamed we will live in freedom and will be delighted. These are the blessings of the obedient life, blessing enjoyed by those who will keep God's law continually. Obedience results from love. As the Lord told us, if you love me, keep my commands. The psalmist loved the commands of God and delight and rush to obey them. 
That's why he said in verse 48, I lift up my hand. He rushes to lift up his hand in surrender and praise to these same commandments. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. I meditate on your statutes. Lifting up your hands is attitude of prayer. So he approached the Bible, the word of God, with attitude of prayer. And lifting up the hand refers to lifting up our hearts. As Abuna says, lift up your hearts in the divine liturgy. He is ready, willing, eager to obey the commandments of God that reflect the character of the God he loves. The commandments reflect the character of God. Obedience begins in the head by willing it, invades the heart, and proceeds out to the hands. It's a decision we make it in our mind, then it's processed to our hearts. So this decision to delight in the word of God will be processed here into loving the word of God, then it proceeds to our hands, so we lift up our hands in prayer. The last verse expresses the strength and the depth of the psalmist's love for the word of God. That love is manifested not only in the feeling delighted, but also in the act of honor. My hand, I lift up to your commandments for honor and time and energy spent with God's word, I will meditate, I will reflect on them, I will contemplate on your word. St. Augustine says, he loved both in thought and in action, action lifting his hands according to the word of God, and in thoughts. With a view to thought, he says, I meditated as to action, my hand also I have lifted up. This love appeared in the heart he delighted, in the mind he meditates in action, my hands also I lifted up. I hope studying these 16 verses tonight help all of us to have this delight and love for the word of God. Because without the word of God, we cannot have liberty, we cannot have freedom. And as the same psalm, in verse 9, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking it according to your word? So if you want to cleanse your way, if you want your way to be straight, cling to the word of God. Live according to the word of God. Keep the word of God in your life. Then you will have all these blessings. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.